Hello and welcome to The Picture Show with Austin and Phil Rude. I am Phil Rude. I am the dad. And I'm Austin Rude and I think I'm I'm the son, right? So the courts say. Okay, perfect. Uh, every week we watch a movie and we talk about it. Yeah, that's what we do. We're a father and son and that's our show. That also, yes. Yes. Um, I do want to, uh, I know we haven't done this in a while, but I do want to talk about Something else that I watched that is not our assigned movie. Go for it. Um, let's see. Let me do the math. Seven years now after starting and being on a podcast called Brokebot Mountain, I have finally seen Brokeback Mountain. I've never seen that movie before. Really? Until this weekend. Yes. All right. Uh yeah, it's the whole I, crux of your I, show. I lived a lie for so many. No, it was just a take on the just name like for something different. The people in just that like movie. the people in the movie. Yes, uh, one of them. Uh, wow, uh, I was not prepared for how sad that movie. I've actually, heard it's a gut wrench. It is absolutely yeah. brutal, but it's a beautiful movie that everybody should see, and then probably never watch again. Like it's one of those movies <laughs> where I'm like, I don't know if I ever want to watch this again. This is no, it's not. It's a sad fest. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, it's a real like tragedy, but yeah, great movie. All right, um, it, uh, a lot of people like. I that just, movie, I just think so. it, it was fun, like for years I've been mixing up the name. Uh, <laughs> I, I I still call that movie Brokebot Mountain, and yeah. you know uh, you conditioned yourself just after after doing that show with David for for I don't know when we do that three or four years. Yeah. And then um, it's like, oh, yeah. Oh, it's on Netflix. I should probably finally watch it. And me and your mom sat and watched it the other night. That's really funny. Mm-hmm. And now here we oh, are. like the movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, that movie is a comedic. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's hilarious. Their timing. I mean. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, anything, uh, anything you want to throw in? Anything interesting you watched this week? Well, as I told you, uh, I it's not as cool as watching something that inspired the name of your podcast I mean, yeah but uh you could change the name of this podcast to to fit the to oh fit what you're about to say okay yeah. uh i i did see uh the red dragon red dragon um yeah. the sequel to silence of the lambs or whatever in that universe uh sequel pre like i said i have not seen it uh since it was really new is it a prequel it technically or yeah there's flashbacks it, or something? i think it it does end with like uh, them telling him about Clarice okay. wanting to see him about a case. Oh, okay. It really, like, takes it right to the edge of it, huh? So, so this is, like, the start of him being in jail, being an assistant to the FBI. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't know. The timeline's weird. Where they rogue uh, one it, they take it right up to... <laughs> Darth Vader's coming down a hallway. Yes, it's and Hannibal Lecter with a lightsaber just destroying everybody. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, a weird place in the timeline, but like, I thought it was a really good movie. Good. Good. I should check that out. I should watch the whole uh, trilogy of those movies again, because... Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Hannibal is like half boring, but the half that's not boring is really good. And there's right. some really interesting ideas in Hannibal. I think there's interesting ideas in like all of right. This. But like Silence of the Lambs is perfect. Silence of the Lambs is a near perfect crime thriller, and it's mm-hmm. just hard to match that. 
yes going forward but yeah yeah it's interesting um, though it really is and hannibal has our boy gary oldman in it that's true oh yeah we we have to to do that on the show of course maybe we should do a gary oldman season where we just it's it's our way to complete the Gary Oldman filmography. It's just like we're gonna watch every Gary Oldman movie that we haven't already watched. I don't know. Do you really want to sit through how many Harry Potter movies he's in? Oh my god, I forgot about that. No, yeah, I... uh, bad idea. Bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for uh, thanks waking for you that up back. there. Yeah. Good lord, what did I almost do to myself? <laughs> anyway, this week we watched. Uh, uh, something to round out our first double feature. We started right. with uh, Bullet Train last week, and I thought a perfect match for that would be another train movie, 2013's Snowpiercer. This science fiction dystopian action movie follows a group of steerage passengers as they fight their way through the class system of the train that carries the last survivors of humanity. This film stars Chris Evans as Curtis, Jamie Bell as Edgar, Tilda Swinton as Mason, Octavia Spencer as Tanya, John Hurt as Gilliam, and Ed Harris as Wilfred. Uh, The screenplay was written by Bong Joon-ho and Kelly Masterson. And based on the graphic novel, uh, all right, bear with me here, La Transpersonage. Uh, uh, Le Train Spotting. Le, le, That's le, how I'm going to read that. Le Trans Personage. Um, I think that's, that's accurate. Uh, uh, JF or uh, Amy, uh, feel free to correct my this, pronunciation. This is a French graphic novel, though? Uh, it is a French graphic novel. I did not realize um, that's the origins of all was, this. Yes, first public in France. Uh, it is by Jacques Loeb. Uh, Benjamin Legrand and Jean-Marc Rochette. The film is directed by Bong Joon-ho, who I think now is a much bigger name, mm-hmm. uh, having uh, directed Parasite, which was a big winner. Say, yep. uh, he also made a movie called The Host that I think everybody should see because that movie is freaking insane. It's like a kaiju movie. Um, but it, there's just some crazy, crazy like acting in it. Did I see that? I, I don't the know. The name is ringing bells, but I don't. I don't. The know. host is a fun and really weird movie, but okay. I think Bong Joon Ho is a pretty interesting director with a little bit of stuff that I've seen. I still have yet to see Parasite. Honestly, I, same here. I um, I haven't done my movie watching homework. Right, uh, uh, but I I think this was a big uh, step for. Him as a director, I mean, is a very, like, Western cast. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of American and British actors in this. And um, it's actually, like, I think pretty international. But, like, at the time, Chris Evans was maybe not quite as big a star as he is now. But He's like, still getting his Avengers paycheck. Uh, right, so. on, the, on the heels of... Uh, one Captain America and the first Avengers movie? Had no. he had done the Winter Soldier yet? I, I don't no, think. I, I don't think so. Anyway, like, but he's totally on the rise. I, I think mm-hmm. they got everybody at just the right point in their Like, Octavia Spencer was uh, pretty big, but not, like, I think as popular as she is now. 
Yeah. You know, she had probably done the help by this time and uh, a couple other things. There's... Uh, uh, go ahead. That, well, they have John Hurt in here John uh, right Hurt, before yep. he passed. Yeah, this was uh, one of his last movies, yeah. I know, yeah. Uh, pretty crazy. Uh, and then... Tilda Swinton. Tilda Swinton. I mean, uh, she's great. Yeah. She's, she's I mean, one of the best. What do you say about this movie, Tilda Swinton? But, yeah. yeah, yeah, she's awesome in this. And uh, Ed Harris, you know, like mm-hmm. who's, uh, I mean, you know, Ed Harris from like the Truman Show. Yeah, uh, he's Gene Kranz in um, Apollo uh, Apollo Thirteen. Okay, uh, yeah, the head yeah. Of Mission Control, uh, and I, um, I didn't make that connection. Uh, and then, like a couple years after this, speaking of Brokeback Mountain, he would uh, be the Man in Black in Westworld in the HBO series Westworld. Ah, right. But uh, yeah, Ed Harris is great. He played Jackson Pollock in a biopic. Uh, he, you know, just long, the right stuff. You know, long great career. That's cool uh, that he's had. So I just I, I recognized him instantly yeah, in this. Like and I just think there's such a great collection of actors in this mm-hmm. in this movie that really is kind of an independent movie. You know what I mean? Like and a uh, uh, real international movie. Yeah, and I'm trying to find what's the name of the uh, the security expert who's hooked on like oh, that, that uh, fake on, drug, Cronal. Uh, yeah. Um, let me look that up. Uh, because he was really good, and I felt like I recognized him. I've seen that him, guy in something before. But, but I, I couldn't well. place him, and I looked it up. I couldn't place While him. While I'm looking that up, I want to shout out uh, Kelly Masterson, who co-wrote this uh, screenplay. Mm-hmm. And um, it, he wrote a movie called uh, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead with Philip Seymour Hoffman and Ethan Hawke. And uh, they're brothers who decide to rob their parents' jewelry store. Like, and it's it's a crime. Uh, it's one of those crime dark movies where everything goes horribly, horribly wrong Ooh. and off the rails. And it is it is just an insane kind of really intense uh, independent movie from Sounds uh, really a dark. little bit before that. That was the biggest thing that... And, I, and he I wrote that? He wrote that. And I think that was the biggest thing that I saw stand out on his um on his filmography um i'm sorry i'm still uh trying to look this guy up where are we at edit a little bit yeah Oh, he was in the host. That's probably where you know him from. Uh, Song Kang Ho. Yeah, is that yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, he is in Parasite. He's in the host. Um, let's see. What else do we got in here? A taxi driver, not taxi driver, but a taxi driver. He's just one of many. Uh, let's see. The throne. I've heard of that. Oh, he's in the interview that, um, Seth Rogen uh, movie about North Korea. (laughs) I think they just grabbed every Korean actor they could to, (laughs) to put in that. Uh, yep. The host, uh, lady vengeance. Some of these I've heard of memories of murder. Um, yeah. So that guy's been around and that guy's awesome in this movie. 
He really is. Uh, him and the, the woman who played his daughter. Uh, uh, who's that? Ko Asung plays uh, Yona. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought she was really good, just as kind of like a little, kind of timid weirdo. But then she would get like all excited when she got around drugs or alcohol or something. Like she would, you know, right. like when she, they go through like the rave car. She reminds me of the basket case from Breakfast Club. A little like, bit, yeah. Yeah, you know, with the hair and just kind of like this weird attitude about Kind her. of a, a, a emo uh, emo girl on the edge of being totally goth. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, they were both uh, cool. This this whole cast, I think, is is just great and a lot of fun. And everyone works in their role that they're meant for. You know, no one's like just kind of a big name to be a big name. No, yeah, I, I don't think there's any egos in in this movie as far as you know. It's not Ryan Reynolds playing Ryan Reynolds like this right. kind of thing everybody's talking about now. Like, who does Dwayne Johnson ever play? He plays himself, and he just. The whole joke is, look, it's me, Dwayne Johnson. You know, we saw it with Bullet Train last week when, like, the big cameo was Ryan Reynolds. And it Ryan Reynolds actually stops and turns and looks at the camera. That's the only shot he's in, and that's all, he, you know, and it's just like, just look, it's Ryan Reynolds. That, yeah. You know, it means nothing. It's been this whole plot point in the whole thing. But, yeah, like, there's none of that here. This is just... I think everybody cast to do a very specific thing and inhabit a very specific person. Right. Um, Octavia Spencer was on uh, Mark Maron's podcast last week as we're recording this. And she talked about getting cast in this movie. And like this was the first time she had ever done an action movie. And, really? And how much she learned by doing something that was very physical and very different from things she had done. And this was still relatively early in her career, but when she was starting to get offered roles. She's getting bigger roles, yeah. And, and just uh, what a different experience it was to work with a Korean director on a very different kind of movie. I mean, she doesn't talk a lot about this movie specifically, but it's a great interview. Mm-hmm. And she just seems like a really sweet person and someone who loves to do different kinds of roles and that this was like this crazy opportunity for her. She's, she's really cool. And, uh, I want to point out in 2019, she made a movie called Ma. Uh, I still haven't seen it, but it looks good. Creepy. (laughs) I remember seeing that it was really creepy. Uh, and she's also in hidden figures, which I love. So like, um, this actress like i recognized her instantly and then i was like oh she's the mother she uh yep uh she basically steals the whole movie in shape of water as the that's uh, right co-worker and um i like she talked a lot about this like her early roles where she would have like one line and like her first 10 years are her credits are like nurse nurse you know this and when you go back and you look um She's the the woman who checks Peter Parker into the wrestling match in the first Sam Raimi Spider-Man. Oh, wow. And it was funny. I watched it for uh, Zenger a couple of years ago, and I was like, oh, my... I hadn't seen it in years. I go, oh, my God, it's Octavia Spencer. But it's like, I remembered that girl, and I remembered her one line, 
you know, where she goes, there's no featherweight division here, small fry, because she delivers it so perfectly that it's just a line. I think it's that just suiting the role. speaks so much to she had one line and she didn't phone it in. She like really was personable and like, and I just think that's why she's such a great actor. She's always trying yeah. with it. Which I, I think is, that's really cool. I think she's awesome. Um, but let's. This is not a first watch for either of us. I'm going to just throw uh, general thoughts out there for anyone who doesn't know. I love this movie. I think Snowpiercer is one of the great action movies of uh, recent time. I think this is one of those things that I would put up there in a category with something that you know I love. Mad Max Fury Road, uh, The Raid, these kinds of like pure action movies that really bring you in and invest you not only in the the action set pieces, but in the characters. There's an mm-hmm. actual story going on as well. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm in the same boat. I've seen this movie before. I really like it. Uh, but at the same time, it's been a few years. And so I kind of noticed yeah. a few things that maybe I hadn't before. Like I did too. Uh, and I think that's another thing I like about this movie is uh, there's so many characters and so much going on that you can shift your focus a little bit and start seeing, picking out more little details every time you watch it. Right, yeah. Uh, I don't know, this might be a weird thing, but I felt like the movie just kind of started. Like, Mm -hmm. it was just, like, there was no build-up. I feel like we didn't get to know characters. There were still character moments. We still got to know the characters. I don't know, it felt very fast-paced in that first act like it was just so like in like the first 10 minutes they're in the middle of planning planning the revolution yeah and, yeah uh i i don't know i had expected more build-up or maybe more like character moments in the beginning but like it caught me off guard that we were just kind of thrown into this story um, which i think works out in a lot of ways but i just i don't know i didn't remember it being like that i i uh I get what you're saying, but I don't see that as a negative. I think the most jarring thing is the prologue of, oh, hey, we tried this thing. Humanity tried this thing. And then, like, the text explaining everything. You know, there's there's a lot of exposition in this movie. Um, but there's no way to put it all in without just writing things on the screen at the beginning. I think that was kind of the most economical way to do that. You just have to tell people straight up. But I do like that they kind of drop you into the middle of the planning stage of the revolt because it's one of those things I've heard it in like screenwriting. Like if you're coming in uh, to a two people having dinner, like start that scene in the middle of the conversation, like Mm -hmm. not to lose people, but just sort of like, it feels natural. And I, I get what you're saying. And I do yeah. think that they do put enough character moments in, in the lead up to the revolt. Uh, Curtis, um, when he goes to get the, the protein bar from Timmy, from the mm-hmm. little boy, I think that's just such a sweet moment. It shows you like, Oh, Curtis is, uh, uh, he's, a sweet guy he's he's trying to bargain with a, a kid and he's playful like he's he's a good guy 
you know. Right. And also he's like well known, like he's everybody kind of, kind of likes Curtis yeah. and he and everybody looks to him and just the way he goes, um, I think Chris Evans plays this so well when uh he goes, What do you want? What do you want for the protein bar? And Timmy goes, And the whole train, he's on the whole train, he's like I want the ball. And I just think that's like the saddest thing is like, especially when you see the ball, mm-hmm. it's just this pathetic thing. And like, that's, that's what this boy, it's, it's the only toy. That's you all know? he wanted. And, and the way Chris Evans plays it, like, Ooh, I don't know. The ball's a tall order, you know, like, and, but like he ultimately, and I'm going to come back to that moment later on. I have other notes on that, but I just think that I think his conversation with Gilliam about like, um, you know, I'm not a leader, you know, we're all looking to you, you know, his, his reluctance to take a leadership position. Sure. It tells you where everyone is like it tells right you away. Who Edgar is Edgar's kind of a useful idiot kind of it's, thing, it's but short tempered kind of, yeah. But he, how much he looks up to Curtis and that comes back around at the end and, mm-hmm. and in a tragic, terrible way. And, um, yeah, I, I think I think they sprinkled just enough in there to invest you because you're you're running to catch up, so you're you're focused on okay, what's going on, and then they sort of let you know okay, these are the these are the players here, these are who we're dealing with, and and Tanya and uh, uh, Gilliam, and then you know we start to see how the train works after mm-hmm. that. Sure, I I think maybe my confusion lays in like. I was, I remember this more as a story of like, this is how a rebellion starts. Right. Than like, no, the spark's already been lit. Yeah. This is how a rebellion pushes for, right. like gets to the end goal. And like, ultimately they're talking about class and how to change things. And it's this very conceptual thing at the end. Uh, There's a lot of big ideas throughout. Yeah. Um, And some of them, I think the class thing. It's a little on the nose, you know what I mean? Like it's it's, but it's supposed to be like mm-hmm. the whole train is class, the class system. I'm the you head, know? you're the foot. They, I, I, uh, yeah, the shoe on the head, you know, like all of the the stuff. Uh, but I also think there are other more abstract ideas that the script is way more clever about. Um, like like what? Like um. And it goes with class, but the idea of being preordained, like this is your, this is your predetermined station in life and you can't come outside of that. And it's, it's right in there with, um, and this is just something I, I take out of the movie because there's a weird thing in, uh, in free market capitalism, if I'm going to go like socioeconomic go about everything, it. yeah, like where the myth is everyone has the same opportunities. Uh, therefore, if you are at a low station in life, um, then that's your fault. You put yourself, you, there you put yourself there, yeah. but then there's, it also doubles with something that contradicts it, which is, Everybody has a preordained station in life and you need to stay in your state. Like it, it, it reinforces the class system and says you shouldn't 
aspire to rise out of it. And, and then it turns the, around and it says, if you don't rise out of it, it's your fault. And and it's just sort of like... The, um, those are two messages that we see like in society. That's like, what I'm saying. Like time. We see this all the time and we see it on the train too. Like you are freeloaders and you're terrible people because of it. But also we need you. We need you because we have to step on somebody to, to maintain right. w- w- how the rest of this train works, you know? And I, I love, there's this line when they're in the classroom and one of the kids is, I heard yes. like, I, I forget what they call them, like uh, low, low levels uh, or... Tail section people. Tail sectioners, or, yeah. yeah like, uh, I heard they're all stinky, lazy, yeah. don't want to work, like it's, it's this kind of rhetoric that the they've thing, heard from their it's parents. It's the thing we... we see in in our society you know yeah. like if, if you're poor it's your fault uh, it's it's uh you see it in uh churches now especially mm-hmm. which is i think one of the more disturbing places to see it where uh the prosperity gospel kind of stuff yeah yeah i'm not trying to go off on a whole tangent and i'm you know uh, no but this is what the movie but talking this the, about. the movie is is reflecting real life uh, propaganda that comes from and and I love the the moment where Curtis calls it out. He says, "This is exactly what people in the best places say to people in the worst places." Like when when he right. says, "Like you belong in the tail section because that's that's your station," and he, you know he calls him out on that. He's like, you know, basically, uh, I think he just says straight up, "Like fuck you." When he's he's like, "Oh, you think it's." You think it's easy to be up here in the in the engine, you know, like mm-hmm. when Wilford's, you know, complaining about, oh, this has its drawbacks too, you know, while he's up there eating steak and drinking wine, <laughs> you know, basically living in comfort. I'm so lonely. I'm lonely and it's loud and yeah. it's it's just a real, uh, yeah, heavy is the head that wears the crown kind of uh, thing, which like it is true. It is true. Yeah. Yes, every station has its drawbacks, but don't compare yourself to the the people who really have it the worst. Especially when you put yourself right. in the top platform. Off topic in the in the Tumblr heyday, there was one called um, that I used to follow called White Wine, and it okay. was just like basically suburban wine moms complaining about their lives, and it's just like just this is not even a problem. Like really, like it's you're you're doing fine. I'm you know that's uh that's us tailenders listening to the complaints i mean of... yeah I mean, but it's it's one of those things that also sort of reminds you like be careful what you complain about too because you know as much as i like to complain about my life it could be so much worse you know right. like yeah i, 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 I always be always grateful. be aware that there's somebody who has it worse than you and i think like the the big takeaway is like always look for where you can help somebody like overcome some of that even in right. a small way like it's uh, and help other people that's with one their to disadvantages grow on. yeah but like uh, uh but that's i think a big thing about this is how oppressed the the tail section people are uh with almost no regard from the rest of the train they're not allowed to interact with other people mm-hmm. people people in the rest of the train just hear stories about who they are but they've never seen them because right. they've never really left their right. 
their compartments. It's like Fox News correspondents talking about the black community. It's like, you don't interact with black people. You don't, you've right. never been in a black community. Uh, you sit up there and you make up stories about them. And, and it's just sort of like, I love when it plays out like that, when they go through the rest of the train mm-hmm. and, and they're, people have never seen tail section people before. And they're like, oh my God, it's tail section people. You know, like when they go through the greenhouse and when they yeah, go, they go through the school. Like, Hang on, wait, why are you grabbing fruit? And right. it's like, no, no, it's okay, let them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a really interesting thing to see, like, they've been fed all this propaganda and then now in the face of it, like, here's the truth, kind of. Right. Um, when, they, when they're in the school car and mm-hmm. uh, and the... the the one girl says, "Oh, I heard, I heard they're mean and nasty people." And the Tilda Swinton is like, "No, no, 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 no! They're very nice and very <laughs> right. fair. Like they're so merciful." <laughs> and that uh, that girl who's talking shit walks past Octavia Spencer and she just cracks the egg on her head. Yeah, <laughs> she's walking. By. It's, it's the funniest, like little subtle move uh in in the whole thing and it's just like it's so perfect it's it's just such a perfect moment i think um but i want to backtrack uh to the prologue uh real quick because i think one of the things that stood out to me that i don't think i'd ever really uh paid that much attention to is the idea of like how perfect a reflection of society this is um that Instead of changing our habits, our consumption, or anything like that, we have sat around and waited for a magic chemical, a magic pill to fix the environment. It's right. this sort of like uh, a thing. I mean, this movie's 10 years old now. And you look at what people are doing for the environment now, and it is the bit, the most prominent plan to fix what we've done to the environment is to colonize another planet and start moving our population there. Right. It's like we've, we're, we're focusing on mitigation and like not real, like we're focusing on just like, well, let's just go do this somewhere else. And it's, it's kind of like, yeah, or we could just fix the problem. Like you're just going to go do this on another, you're going to go ruin another planet. Right. That isn't even meant to house. Not solving the issues right. at all. Um, and and I just think that's that is such a kind of um, prophetic. Uh, maybe it's not prophetic. Maybe it was just really relevant at the time of like, mm-hmm. yeah, we're not going to fix it. Well, anything. there had been climate deniers for sure. I, we've known since the seventies. So right. Uh, but the idea of just waiting until it gets so bad and then just betting it all on this this hail mary. Uh, pass of a oh this this thing will will shoot more chemicals into the air and, and see what that does it. yeah um uh but can i say i like that because of that so that plan failed they froze the whole world right, right? uh the solution to that new problem was also born out of an accident like the guy who made the train wasn't building this arc for like the betterment of people he was just building a fancy luxury train at the time and he brought all the people on it like he had the solution by chance he didn't 
create the solution he, for the problem. And but he acts like he does. Like in the propaganda they say like uh like he he's all powerful, he's all knowing. Right. He he had this miraculous solution when really like it's like if a natural disaster happens and it somehow benefits like the aviation community like the ceos who own the airlines are going to make more money sure so they're going to be more powerful it's not like they had this answer right and you see it in um in the fact that they've maintained economy in a world Mm -hmm. where money doesn't mean anything anymore like all he's done is preserve society on this train and what it used to be you know so that he can be lifted up even you know like when you when you stop and think about it it is a a movie that came out a few years ahead of this that i think mirrors at least the structure at least in the first act is i am legend and there's a Mm -hmm. there's parts of i am legend in in just the background like he goes into a bank and there's just money laying around everywhere you know and it's like watching it, your instinct is like, oh, grab all that money. And then you go, oh, wait, never mind. Like, it doesn't mean anything. You can't spend it anymore. It, it does, it, it, right. Yeah. There, there's no society. It, money only works when there's a market. You know? Exactly, like, yeah. And, and and this is the thing of like, there's no market except what's on the train. Having money doesn't mean anything mm-hmm. except for uh, unless enough people on the train want to believe that to prop up the higher, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just like, that's where the propaganda is. And, I'm, and I'm, you even hear, uh, like in Chris Evans' story, he talks about the first, the beginning of the train. Right. How he says they took everything they entered the train right. with away. They stripped every passenger of they, everything. They took all their possessions. And then they redistributed it into this more, like, right. class-friendly kind of, like, now we've got the numbers right, so maybe you're going to be a little poorer than you started off, uh, even though you were still like a business class, you weren't economy, but right. regardless, you know, it, they changed it around a little bit. It's a, um, you know, that I mean, like, that's the myth of uh, uh, rich people disliking socialist policies is actually they benefit from from something resembling socialist policies all the time. Like, right. Yeah. Like there's corporate welfare and, and corporate tax breaks and, and things like that. And, you know, it's just a, uh, yeah, I'm not even talking about the movie anymore. <laughs> no, <laughs> I know what you're talking no, I'm about. I'm not like, I'm not like a big, like pro socialist person, but I am like a, uh, regulate capitalism, have socialist safety nets so that nobody falls behind. And it's like, you know, so I don't, I don't want anybody to think I'm like, pushing up some crazy extreme agenda. Listen, comrades, <laughs> when you listen to our podcast, <laughs> personal point of preference. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, I mean, it's just like, there's everybody has an idea of like what fairness in society looks like. And none of it looks like the poorest of the poor eating each other in order to stay alive. You know, like this, right. the reflection of this is like in society, the idea of like, I can't believe uh, black communities have crime and drugs. And, and it's like, well, you've oppressed black communities to the point that this is what, in, 
I'm speaking very generally yes, here. That this is, you know, crime takes place because people have no other option. Like nobody's first option is like that's a poor like, people like, thing. Right, like right. Just, it's, it's just sort of like you know, in poor white uh, rural communities, uh, actually have a lot of meth and a lot of opioid. Uh, you it's know, the like, same thing, just different it, drugs. Yes, it's a different uh, it's a different demographic of poverty mm-hmm. and uh, oppression. Like I don't mean to call it black people or white people or, or, or swing a, a bigoted stick anyway. I'm just saying like, that's what poverty looks like. And in this world, poverty looks like uh, when you get to Curtis's revelation at the end, it looks like people literally eating each other because mm-hmm. that's what they have to do. And then they get marked as savages through the rest of the train. Even who, though they were forced who hear to hear these that. stories about like, oh my God, you hear what they're doing to each other back in, in steerage? You know, it's like, well, yeah, that's you did that it's to them. Terrible. You know. Um and I just think there's uh there's so many like parallels mm-hmm. to things we see. And I don't care how much art you make about this. I guarantee there are people who miss the entire point of this, of this movie, you know, and they're just like, what an awesome action movie. You There's know? always one. Um, but yeah. Ben Shapiro loves this movie. I bet he does. <laughs> but uh, one thing I love about, you know, the train's a metaphor. It's society. It's class. It's all of this stuff. Uh, the whole idea of leadership with Curtis. Yes. Uh, how they want him to take, like, just a new head to the train. Right. That's that's all he would be. Like, and would that solve their problems, quote unquote? Right. Like, not really. And so that's not the solution to this movie. The solution, which kind of is hinted all throughout, is that it is survivable out there. We can, there is another way. Uh, the snow is melting. Right. We need to get off the train. The train is not healthy. We right. need to yes, find the, a new way. The idea of just keeping the system intact is is not really the solution. And just mm-hmm. putting a new head is, it's, this is something I, I've said in the movement to, oh, we need more female CEOs. We need more black CEOs. And it's like, if we're going to maintain the corporate structure, the demographics of the CEO don't matter because mm-hmm. the the person you have to be to become a CEO of a greedy corporate entity is a morally bankrupt person. <laughs> like, right. you know, like it doesn't matter if you're black, white, male, female, trans, gay, straight. It None of that matters if we're not going to be better people than what came before. It. Use your money. Use your power for good. Right. I um. There's a, a movie called Emily the Criminal, mm-hmm. um, and slight spoiler: I know you are. I I, to watch I that. just got that movie. There is a, there is a uh, uh, scene where she interviews and is given offered like an internship to basically fight for a full time position, and uh, the woman inter- the CEO of the company is a woman. And she's like, well, when I was starting, they told me all I could be was a secretary. And it's like, yeah, and you made it here and you've made it no easier on women coming. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of the, the takeaway from that. And I think that's a, that's a real thing. And that's totally on display in, in this movie. The idea of like replacing the head isn't enough. And that's a profound thing. Uh, it is. I, 
it brings me to Hunger Games, which may have done it better. I they have this interesting thing where uh, well, that was the first female action lead ever. According to Jennifer <laughs> Lawrence, it was. I think there's some slight context around that, but that is a funny meme. <laughs> yes. Uh, anyway, uh, y- you know, they f- fight this whole war to end the Hunger Games. Uh, and then at the very end of it, this so-called leader in the rebellion who's been using Katniss, the main character, kind of just goes, okay, I'd like to host a symbolic Hunger Games with the kids of the capital. So that would be like, in this movie, if they were like, all right, we're going to move all of you rich people to the back of the train. Right. And we're just going to keep going like that. And that'll, but it's still the train. It's still the it's hundred still the games. Train. Someone's and, still suffering at, at right. the end of the train. Right. So, so you have to end that. You have to get off the train. You right. have to end the hunger games. It's like, about breaking systems. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's a really cool message. It is a cool message. It's one that scares people in society, as it should, because there's a lot of great unknowns. And what are we going to replace this with? We could replace it with the worst train. It's it's absolutely a a big possibility. And I think that's what everybody on the train is also afraid of. Yes. You know, like, um, it's not that there isn't enough to give everybody something. It's that... uh, people are afraid they won't get sushi anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, is, is, you know, when they, they describe, because it's really funny what, how they describe that, uh, at the sushi, the sushi car, the closed ecosystem. Kind yes. Of thing. Like they're very respectful of maintaining, mm-hmm. you know, the, the balance, uh, throughout the train, no matter, you know, what that means, but it's like, well, leading up to the ecological disaster, that put everybody on this train, nobody was concerned with that. You know, yeah. like there's a real, there's a real like irony to, to now the rich are very concerned with balance. But you know, there is this thing of like, a uh, class and society is an ecosystem. Yeah. And, you know, I, I feel like on some level, it is kind of true that you need a low point and a high point and room to grow in between and all of that. But like. Somebody does have to be at the bottom. Somebody does have to be. I get what you mean. The Uh, bottom doesn't have to be that bad though. No, you know, like it's, we could have a very high bottom and a very low high point. It's the idea that people who, people who work at McDonald's don't deserve a livable wage. And it's like, well, yeah, they do, but we also, if you want people to be working at McDonald's, mm-hmm. then you need to, you know, that's important to you. If it's important enough for you to want somebody there, if there's, if it's important enough for you to want somebody to dig a ditch for you, to drive a garbage truck, like, then you need to, it's important right. enough to pay that person enough to where they don't have to eat another person, you know, like, Fast metaphorically, like, and- it's... Yes. All, all of this stuff, like all of these types, they deserve to live everybody, in a house. Everybody deserves to, to be able to live if they're going to trade a majority of their week to a job. If they're going to sell a majority of their time yes. to a job. then Performing a service. Know, yes. Uh, get something out of it. Yeah, but you're right. There, um, There's a whole school of kids that I see online who uh, 
want a communist system to come in because they think it means they won't have to work anymore. And it is like somebody has to do all those jobs that nobody wants to do. And it's a, I know we can get into a big discussion I, about yes. this. I will defend that I don't, it's not that idealistic. It is still, it, I, I'm there's saying, unrealistic I'm saying I have seen people yes. with unrealistic expectations of what that means. Yes. Uh, I, people would but still work. It is if like you did no, not no. Have somebody work. still has to grow food. Somebody else. Yes. Oh, like these things that are considered like bottom jobs, and I've been, you know, the ditch digger jobs before, and I know that like that's a shitty thing that rich people say is like the world needs ditch diggers, mm-hmm. and it's like well, it's true, but like you don't have to treat your ditch diggers like shit. <laughs> you know, exactly. <laughs> is what and we like... get is what we come down to, um, and I think uh, I think we're getting off track of the movie. Uh, no pun intended about a train movie, but this like this movie is that this movie is like constantly talking about class and how we treat classes. It's so, like we yeah. just took a sociology course and we're reviewing it. Like, I mean, it yeah, makes sense. Uh, but I do want to talk about uh, uh, leadership and Curtis's journey of yeah. being a leader because uh, I I think this movie is saying a lot about what a good leader looks like who mm-hmm. and 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 most of the time a good leader is somebody who doesn't think that they would be a good leader or doesn't want to be a leader you know you want someone else to it, do it. it they're not being driven by ego they're not being driven by greed it is somebody who just naturally takes charge and that's who curtis is mm-hmm. but i like the added layer of curtis doesn't think he he Curtis believes a leader has to sacrifice something mm-hmm. and, and he doesn't and, think he deserves and he doesn't that. think he has sacrificed enough and been humbled enough and his journey to the front of the train he's lost his friends he has come to the point where he is sacrificing but he and, still says i have he, both hands yes he is this uh these old like samurai stories of the samurai who has made it to the top of the mountain Mm -hmm. and everybody knows it except them, which is why it's the, their, their denial of it is the thing that actually it's a paradox kind of thing. Yeah. You know? And I think that is such, it, it, it is maybe the most interesting aspect of this. And I've seen, glimpses of this storyline in previous viewings but i think this time i really caught it the most through throughout how much he was sacrificing on his way there and it is like it is totally curtis's journey to being worthy of being a leader not the leader that takes over the train the leader that dismantles the entire system right and also people see it to the point where they sacrifice themselves for him like when uh right that that one guy with like all the tattoos like mm-hmm. you know the crazy guy yeah. he he like jumps out and puts his hand in front of the knife that yes. like, killed him like there there's these multiple instances where people willingly die to save him to push him to forward push the goal they believe yeah. curtis is the one who's going to make it to the engine they yes. say it over and over if we don't take the engine 
you know, mm-hmm. all of this is for nothing. Like they understand, like, and and they believe in Curtis. Even Gilliam believes Curtis is the one who should who should go, even though it's kind of revealed, like, oh, and it's it's I, unreliable. You know, the the Gillian thing, I it's it's I don't like it. It's murky because it is kind of like, uh, is Wilford a a reliable narrator? You know what I mean, right? But also, only he knows things that is just kind of like, oh, maybe they really were. And it's one of those things where I do think there is a thing of like Gilliam wanted. It's it's like wanting the female CEO. He he thought that would make a difference. Mm-hmm. He wanted to put something somebody good and just in the engine, uh, and didn't quite see the big picture of like dismantling the whole train. But but also this idea, like he's trying to preserve all the people. So he, the idea that Gideon has secretly been working with, uh, the people at the top of the train and right. like organizing the people at the bottom to do exactly what they like that's pretty messed up yeah but like i kind of to to call the poor people like yeah but after he's already dead and we also don't see him die on screen he doesn't die in front of us he he dies you know someone gives him a video which could be anything i think the reveal only would have worked if we find gideon at the front of the train yeah. If he was the CEO the whole time, secretly yeah. living amongst the people. He's in there eating steak with with Wilford. Yeah. I yeah. or there's no Wilfred. He was Wilfred oh, yeah. the whole point. That Oh by the way, it's Gilliam, not Gideon. I keep oh. calling him Gideon. Gilliam. I, uh, okay. Yeah. Like Terry Gilliam. It's the the G name. Yeah. Uh, G. Either way, I think it would have worked better if there was only one old man. Yeah. He's secretly behind it both. But either I, way, I get the idea of the the head working with a foot to go by their metaphor. Yes. And also like the idea that yeah, a lot of times people who represent poor communities absolutely sell their communities out to bigger interests. You know what I mean? It like, happens all the time. It happens all the time. Like look at a lot of the uh states that have high poverty levels and look at what their their representatives or their governors are really what their agendas really are. Yeah. Um Sarah Huckabee Sanders just took over as the governor of Arkansas and decided their her first order of business was going to be some culture war bullshit, you know, like it's always know, fun. <laughs> it's just sort of like, oh okay, your state is like drowning in poverty, but yeah, tackle this. That's like, the it, important it's, thing. It's just yeah. Um, so it becomes, uh, I think, I think there's a lot of things that this story, I've not read the comic. I really have wanted to for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, I think there's just a lot of aspects of real life socioeconomics and, and politics that they wanted to just put into this story and, and show it. It's one of those things where let's shrink it all down to a train. And now we see how the country really works. Like right. you can see it. It's, it's, it's easier than the big picture of seeing how world and, and national politics work. I mean, that's what metaphors are for. Sure. And also it's easier to look at the flaws in a 
setting you're not familiar with. You know, yeah, they stand like, out a little more. Yeah, you, you can see the propaganda. You can see the 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 issues with it. Whereas if you just show someone a fast food worker being mistreated, right. and they've already been conditioned in their brain to think, oh, McDonald's workers don't deserve fifteen dollars. Right. Well, an I'm hour. not a fast food like, worker, so I don't care. But they're not going to sympathize with that character. But everybody the sees themselves as an underdog. Yes. And so everybody can put themselves in the tail end of this train and go, I would totally fight, you know, the, my way to the front. And in a way, we all have an ego, like, within ourselves, you know, that's yeah. that person first. So you put yourself with Curtis automatically, just like, oh, of course, I would be yeah. this natural leader. I would, I would do this. Right. I would do... And then you find out all the stuff he did before that and... Let's talk yeah. about that because uh, I I love that revelation. I love his his admitting guilt at the end. His his come to Jesus moment about who he used to be mm-hmm. and what changed him. And I I think this movie is brilliant at dropping that exactly when they did. Because it recontextualizes his relationship to everybody. All the way back to how great he is with Timmy. Well, because everyone had seen that, you right. know? But we hadn't. We didn't know that's where he came from. Yes. And the fact that, oh, that's why he's so protective of Edgar. Oh, that's why he respects Gilliam so much. Oh, that's why he's so gentle and kind to Timmy. To the other mm-hmm. children and protective of the children is he sees how wrong he was no matter his reason for doing it he feels terrible about it when he says i know that babies taste best is the most chilling and horrific it's bad uh but it's also like he's not a monster i mean he is he's basically kind of outlining like we lost our humanity back there mm-hmm. until Gilliam pulled us together. And like, it it really does sort of, it shifts your perspective on the whole thing. Yeah. And I, I think it's brilliant. I, I just, I love it more every time I see this movie. Um, and it's, it's hard to hear, but also like great to hear at the same time. I... I... Yeah, I, I don't know what to add to that. That's Great just... in an artistic kind of context of like, oh, it, it really shifts your perception. No, it, and, it, it and does change yeah. like every, it changes every single one of the characters. Yeah. Uh, but in a good way. He says, I killed Edgar's mother, you know, so of course he steps in and becomes Edgar's protector, mm-hmm. you right. know, and, and the idea. And I the love... fact that Edgar likes, trusts him and right. cares about him. Even after that. Like, it also makes you wonder, does Edgar know? I think he had you know, to. You know what I mean? Like, um, Been told at some point. But uh, uh, there's uh, one other... Oh, just the, the fact that he tried to cut his arm off. He tried to be selfless. Yes. And he didn't have the sack to do it. And that he has basically beat himself up for 18 years over that. Like, that's a... That's a heavy thing. Uh, 
if you've ever like you ever gone to like an AA meeting or an NA meeting or any sort of like thing where people are talking about like their hard past and you realize that someone's carried something really heavy with them for their whole life and not shown it on the surface. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's like a, it changes everything about how you see them. Right. And, and I think that's what, that's what Curtis is doing here is like, he, he has every day regretted that he can't, he couldn't cut his arm off. And, and also to admit that. Yeah. Like one, once he admits it, once he tells the whole story to a stranger and like just mm-hmm. gets that off his chest, he's able to make the sacrifice. He knows yeah. what needs to be done after that. Uh, it takes a while, but he he gets, he gets it. That's the whole point is he is getting there without even knowing he's getting there. Right. And in the moment is when, you know, sticks his arm in the gears and, you know, like sacrifices himself because pretty he brutal. has to. Yeah. Because he made a promise to Tanya, you know, that he'd save Timmy, mm-hmm. you know, which is pretty great. It's, 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 it it does, all comes too. together really, really perfectly. Yeah. Uh, can I talk about... The fact that we don't know if anyone else on the train survived. We yeah. end this movie with only two characters. Uh, the the girl uh, yep. and the boy. I uh, I don't remember her name. I, I know Timmy. Uh, right. And I think it's really important that it's those two characters. Uh, Yona is the... Yona the, and Timmy. The okay. young woman's name. I think it's really important that it's those two characters because they have never not been on the train. They were born on the train. They've never lived in the world before. So with the train no longer an option and them setting out into the world, it is absolutely a brand new start. It is a, a legitimate rebirth, not of people who are going to try and rebuild the world the way it was. These are people who have a clean slate to build the world how they want to. Right. The train's gone. The old world is gone. These people who never knew a system that is still standing, it's it's all brand new. It's all, and they, you know, encounter nature right away. I, I didn't even realize that, but that shot of her stepping off the... That's the first time the she first ever time touches she's the ever ground. The first time she's ever set foot on the ground, you know? When they go through the greenhouse and she has... She scoops up the, the dirt. Right. She goes, can I eat this? And he's and like... she's confused by the worm. Yeah, he's like, no, this is what we used to walk on, you know? Like, that's... Yeah. That's uh, so weird. It's a, it's a wild, wild thing when you, when you stop and think about it. Um, the, the idea of, you know... Touch grass, you know, right. and like these people have never touched grass before or dirt, you know. Uh, and I also, I love the idea of um, the earth basically healing itself. Like mm-hmm. it starts to, uh, the snow starts to melt and, and they, things like that. They left and it alone and it's kind of just been. It's a thing we saw in the quarantine lockdown days of a couple mm-hmm. years ago where cars were off the road. And people were who were measuring like emissions in the air. They're like, oh, the, it's actually like getting better. And uh, it, they're just the wildlife returning. There was a there was a a seeable difference. Yes, in just a few months, and, and that's is, what would happen if right if 
people went away, like the earth would slowly start to put itself back together. And it's, it's, it's pretty wild. I, I think things like that, that are, um, kind of really accurate about this movie are, mm-hmm. are things that really make a difference. Yeah. And now they're off the train and, and who knows? In the middle of the Himalayan mountains? I don't know. Yeah, they're kind of just in the middle of, they're like, Curtis, could you have let us get to like a, a place where there's some shelter? Uh, For real. Stop off at a, a cool city, maybe. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. Uh, the last thing I have, it does pertain to um, propaganda is... You see it in Tilda Swinton's character all the time. Uh, she'll make a statement and then just go, so it is. And it's mm-hmm. one of those things of just sort of like, I've spoken. I represent the head. And so when I say something and say, so it is, you know, so it is written, so it will be done kind of thing. Right. Like this, don't question don't, it. Don't this question is just what it is. Yes. Uh, it's sort of like the idea of inventing truth. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a real like 1984 concept. We told you, so uh, that's all you need that's to know. That's what it is. That's all you need to know. Exactly. Um, now shut up about it. It was a nice, it's a, it's a nice touch to, again, I don't know if this originated in the comic or, uh, mm-hmm. you know, is, is a screenplay invention. It's a pretty cool thing though. And her whole character is just so fun. She's great. I, yes. Yeah. She blocks the knife and yeah. she's like, you need to mind your manners or whatever. <laughs> right. uh, I like when they make her eat the, the protein bar. Oh, uh, uh, her it, teeth. Yeah, and just, like, no, you eat this. And she's just, she goes, you know what that's made of. It's, it's, but her face when she does yeah. it too. I, everything about Even it after that, hilarious. she just looks disturbed at having had to eat it. it like yeah. in the next scene, she's still carrying it. It's messed up. Uh, yeah. Uh, you got anything else? Uh, not really. That's as much as I've got for kind of covering the main bits of this movie. I feel like we got got the main the main gist. I think. Yeah. Uh, do you want to talk about maybe how this works as a double feature? Sure. I, I mean, we already kind of know the the connection here. It's... The the the, the uh, connection was two train movies, obviously. Yes. Uh, but. The reason I chose this is because I think the tone is radically different. I didn't want my double feature uh, contribution to just be a rehash of the thing we just watched. I think for me, like a double feature has to be something uh, that is similar in some way, but not the exact same movie. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, um, and And can I say... I think a good triple feature with these two would be if you added another movie we've reviewed, Train to Busan, then you kind of get all three train movies with Asian leads. You get Korean Korean train movies overlapping with a a Japanese train movie. That's actually a really great. And they're all, that's another different tone uh, to uh these two a little it's closer a little, to this one but yeah um, it's a little more serious more of a horror movie at the same time exactly yeah. though the idea of eating ground up cockroaches is it's pretty, pretty horrific horrifying. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but yeah i uh that's a that's a really good call actually um uh other other things i considered 
uh, yeah. for this was um, I did consider Mad Max Fury Road because it is an action movie that is constantly moving. Uh, in that same vein, I considered Steven Spielberg's Duel mm-hmm. uh, about okay. the semi-truck chasing a guy through the desert. Uh, and uh, on the idea of Bullet Train being a movie made by a stuntman and starring Brad Pitt, I almost chose Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which stars Brad Pitt playing a stuntman. All of uh, those are great. And I, I, all of those are really great movies. Ultimately, I thought, this is our first double feature. I'm going to keep it simple. We're going to stick to the train theme and have something uh, just totally different. Uh, so right. this would be two fun train action movies. Uh, and there's a lot of action. There's, there's a lot of, yeah. I think, similar overlap, but just one tone is very silly and playful, and the other tone is very dark and, as we've discussed here, very socially conscious. I'm sorry for all the uh, the the economic and political talk uh, and my own biases that I've put into this. Uh, I'm not. So. Uh, 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 well, sorry, not sorry, but I'm just saying for people who just wanted to hear us talk about a train movie. That's fair. Um, you know. Yeah. I, I get it, yeah. You know who we are by now. Come on. <laughs> like, we can't help ourselves. Uh, but yeah, it's... um, I don't know. I, I feel like this... We didn't watch these, you know, exactly back to back, but I think this would... This would be a fun this like, could work Sunday back afternoon to, back. to watch these two movies, I think, in in either order or you wanted to. If you wanted to get more serious as it went, or if you wanted something heavy, and then oh, let's mm. lighten it up a little bit. And, See, I, yeah. I feel like if I watched Snowpiercer first, I I wouldn't have the patience for Bullet Train. Yeah. I'd I'd just be like Where's where's the meat to this? Yeah. You know, I bullet I'd rather do a the... good warm up. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. do bullet train and then this. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. Uh, so yeah, that's that's I, just where I came out on. I on I think this. this was a great pick. Yeah. Uh, it was a great movie to watch in general, and it relates. It to helps the first that we like this movie. So yes. Yeah. All right, cool. Um, should we do shout outs? Or should we do next week's movie? Tough decision. Uh, let's tell us next week week's movie. Okay, yeah, let's. Uh, I'll, I'll move that up in the show doc for future reference. But uh, next week, um, we haven't done a sports movie since uh, Moneyball. Since Moneyball, which is say. season one. So, uh, so I'm going to bring a a, uh, a sports movie to kick off, and uh, so be thinking about. What you might follow this up with. All right. We're going to watch um, I, Tanya. Oh. Uh, the Tanya Harding uh, biopic. Oh, and uh, I've seen this. Uh, crime movie. Yeah. You know. Uh, you gave me this movie, like, for my birthday a couple of years ago. Did I really? You that did. so and, funny. Uh, and I've only, I think I've only watched it once and maybe seen part of it, like, on cable or something. But I really enjoy this movie. I love Allison Janney in this movie. I love Margot Robbie. Mm-hmm. Um, and the movie is really, really an interesting take on uh, the biopic. We'll, we'll, we'll get into it. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to revisiting this and, That's and talking a good about pick. it with you. Yeah. Uh all right, you know, this winter I learned how to ice skate. So oh, so you're going to bring some real experience to this. I also know how to break someone's kneecaps. <laughs> <laughs> I can do that part. Yeah, uh, it's, it's good. It's a yeah. balanced team. Yeah. All right, now i got to start thinking about... Yeah, 
what I mean, to double feature what that way. Go with, but uh, that's that's a cool pick. Yeah. I Tanya. We'll have fun with that. Um, uh, shout outs. What do you got this week, Us? Uh, well, I've got something related to the movie, good, uh, good, as good. you can see from the show doc. Uh, I wanted to shout out Snowpiercer the prequel. Okay. Uh, this is a comic book. So I did not originally realize uh, there is a comic book for uh, Snowpiercer, but I didn't realize that was the origin. I thought it was kind of based off the movie. But regardless, uh, this comic uh, prequel is a prequel shocker right uh to these original snowpiercer comics uh so it's written uh by matt and john mark rochette Mm -hmm. believe i'm saying that right uh and it's also illustrated by john mark rochette okay uh and it it kind of tells the story uh it's more of a broad story about what's going on on the planet at the time but it it tells the story of what's in the text in this movie okay. in the beginning of, uh, you know, global warming is happening and which I'm glad they didn't. They're building this train empire. You know, yeah. Uh, all, all of that stuff is really expanded upon. Uh, it opens with like talking about poachers. So it's also like covering a lot of these cool environmental causes. Right. Uh, and so I thought that was interesting, uh, and I don't want to spoil too much of what happens in it, but it does follow a lot of different characters doing things. Uh, I've only read volume one, but there's, I think, three volumes. There's a few volumes of Snowpiercer comics, and yeah, um, yeah. yeah, it's one but, of those things that's been on my list for a long time that I've I've never read. But but if you want to check it out, I'd recommend it. Much uh, like the Snowpiercer TV show, like I don't have too much interest in it because I just. I hold this movie like so dear that I'm just kind of like this is my Snowpiercer. I've been afraid you know? to watch yeah. the show and be Same. like, uh, and, and it could I think, be better. I think that's I why know. I haven't like pushed myself to read the comics either. I'm just sort of like I kind of have my version that I I yeah I like a lot. So yeah, but if you want to go into that expanded yeah. world, I think that's a good no. Place I think to start I think that's I think that's great. I'm not knocking. Either. If you enjoy the show or the comics, I think that's great. So yeah, just uh, look up Snowpiercer, the prequel, and you can find it at your library, I'm sure, or something. Yeah. Uh, go for it's it. around. What do you got, Dad? What's uh, your shout out? Uh, just that uh, in this past week, as of the time of our recording, uh, guitarist Jeff Beck died. So mm. um, go find some Jeff Beck music. Like everywhere that you get music you can buy it i have some vinyl you can find clips of him playing on youtube uh uh, spotify your streaming music of choice i'm sure jeff beck for anyone who doesn't know and i i am not overly familiar with jeff beck but he is uh he was basically an instrumental uh music guitar player he played with the Yardbirds way back in the day, which is a band that Jimmy Page and Eric Clapton played in. Like uh, everybody played in the Yardbirds, like, all, but okay. like the time of like Jimmy Page and, and Clapton and, and Jimi Hendrix, who were kind of like inventing sound. I feel like it's kind of thought Jeff Beck was sort of like the best, the best musician 
like the best like pure in that group, guitar player of. of that school right. and i uh i th- i just think he is one of those really interesting guys um <laughs> um christopher guest's character in spinal tap is loosely based on jeff beck or the look of him anyway he's like the same haircut and everything oh. uh but uh, i think he was a really interesting guy there's a documentary about him floating around um okay and just like a really kind of mind-blowing melodic guitar player i, th- I think he's I, I um, haven't heard about him before. Yeah, it's, he's so. he's kind of overlooked in that school. Um, is a little bit deeper cuts, but um, yeah, I just recommend go it's find a, yourself some Jeff Beck music, and it's a good way to honor and, him and put it on and and just kind of like there's a lot of it out there. He's uh, a great musician, and uh, yeah, it's a little little pay tribute to to Jeff Beck this week. That's my shout out. It's a great thing about being an artist, you know. He created something. He's no longer here, but his work still is. You know, that's so the he's here. The thing I've I've heard people say uh, is like, "There's no late to the party anymore because it's all it's all mm-hmm. out there. Like you can discover a new artist anytime, or a TV show or something you missed. Right? And just like Brokeback Mountain, you know, like it's there." You can watch it anytime. A movie I missed, you know, 15 years ago or whatever it was. Just uh, watched Red Dragon after like yeah, I mean, it's 30 just, years. It's, I don't know. It's all out there. So, um, yeah, that's it. Check it out. Good stuff. Uh, thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Picture Show with Austin and Phil Rude. If you enjoy our show, please leave a review on your podcatcher of choice. It helps our visibility. It helps us grow the show. That's right. And as you know, there's other ways to help us grow the show, like uh, telling your friends about us. Tell but, your friends at the head of the train. That's right. You you, you kind of have to go through all these cars. There's so many cars, <laughs> guys. There's too many. Uh, but when you find your train, when you find your friend at the front of the train, yeah, make sure to tell them about us. Just put it on in the rave car. And also, don't eat babies. Yeah, please. Yeah, that's our... It's kind of our motto here I mean, on the show. Your option is cockroach granola bars. I would still rather also eat a cockroach great. granola bar. Yeah. There's less crying it's involved. It's kind of, kind of a toss-up. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever been on a plane that with grind, a baby? That grinder was pretty gross. That <laughs> was very gross. Yeah. <laughs> um, Anyways. Uh, how can they get a hold of us? Uh, people can find us using our email, austinandphil at gmail.com. Please reach out, contact us, tell us your thoughts about Snowpiercer or our double feature in general. That's right. If someone actually did watch our double feature back to back, let us know. If you, if you did a, if you did a big train filled Sunday afternoon, um, you know, let us know, let us know how they, how they work together. (laughs) That's great. Yeah, uh, and you can tell us about your thoughts on our upcoming movie, I, Tanya. Yeah. You... yeah, yeah, absolutely. Reach out, uh, let us know. Yeah. Oss, uh, you want to read the credits? Uh, yeah, we did it all ourselves. Well, there you have it. We'll see you next time on The Picture Show. See ya. Mm-hmm.